My name is Keith Beavers, and I've been abstaining from peanut butter for almost two months now. It's fine. I'm fine. What's going on, wine lovers? Welcome to episode 10 of Fine Pairs Wine 101 podcast. Season two. My name is Keith Beavers. I am the tasting instructor of Vine Pair. And how are you? How are you? And you? And how are you? How are you? South Africa. It's a major player in the wine scene in the world. What's going on there? What are they growing? What are they making? What do you? What can you find from South Africa? Because South Africa is happening on our market now. Let's get into it and understand it. This episode of Wine 101 is sponsored by E&J Gallo Winery. At Gallo, we exist to serve enjoyment in moments that matter. The hallmark of our company has always been an unwavering commitment to making quality wine and spirits. Whether it's getting barefoot and having a great time, making everyday sparkle with La Marca Prosecco, or continuing our legacy with Louis Martini and Napa, we want to welcome new friends to wine and share in all of life's moments. Cheers and all the best. Back in like, I think it was 2003, I wasn't even in wine yet. Wine wasn't even a thing I was thinking about. And I had another job and I had an opportunity to, well, part of the job is we had to work this thing called the Fancy Food Show. It's this big sort of food uh, convention thing that happens over a weekend at the Javits Center in Manhattan. It's one of the, it's a huge convention center, one of the largest you've ever seen. And I took a break from the booth I was working in. And you just walk around and just like food samples and just swag and all this craziness. And all the way in the back of one of the big, big rooms, I mean, these rooms were like a football field, was a wine section. And in that wine section, there was a big banner. It said, South Africa, wine. I'll never forget that. I was like, what does that mean? It stuck with me. It never went away. And then later, I think it was like in 2005 or 2004, I was at a wine bar in, in Park Slope in Brooklyn, and this wine bar had a South African wine. I was like, oh, cool, let me try that. And I was like, wow, okay, so South Africa makes wine. This is cool. I didn't know what was going on. And then fast forward to 2006, 2007, when we opened up our wine shop in the East Village, and we started buying wines for the initial inventory. And I was like, we need to taste as many South African wines as we can. And we sure enough did. And it was just... It's fascinating. It's so crazy and cool what South Africa is doing. And I guess what I say when I say crazy and cool, when we talked about Australia, there's a, not an intensity, but there's this, there's this hunger. Australian winemakers have a hunger. They're, they're sort of the original, you know, the flying winemakers we talked about in that episode where they finish their harvest down in their hemisphere. They go to another hemisphere to start another harvest because they just need to learn more and more and more. South Africa is kind of on that level of innovation and uh, and experimentation and trying to find things that really that really kind of jive with their terroir. So just like in Australia or in New Zealand, I mean, in, in Australia, in South Africa, we have a, kind of a, a, a loosely controlled Appalachian system. But like those other two countries we talked about previously, there's, they're still planting vines and finding what works in what areas. And there's a lot of successes with a lot of different varieties all over South Africa 
but they have it's not just a, a like well this place does this this place does this this place does this so we're gonna do another one of these overviews because there's so many wine regions in South Africa today that it's impossible to go all through all of them but the thing that the good news is even though all of South Africa is not on our market there is a good amount of South Africa on our market that you can find and it's not hard so that's 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 really cool and I don't know if you're getting a sense of this yet, but these newer wine regions like Argentina, Australia, New Zealand, not Europe, you can you can kind of get a sense that even to this day, they're still trying to, you know, not figure it out, but they're still experimenting. Even in the United States, even in California, even in a place like Sonoma, winemakers are still exploring. But in a place like South Africa, where the the the, the wine culture is sort of new. They're just trying whatever works. And I think that's very exciting because it's, it's fun. Diversity is great. If multiple varieties thrive in one place, that's cool. A place doesn't always have to be known for one grape. That's, that's also cool that it, is, that, that, that it is, but it doesn't have to. We can celebrate places that aren't known for just one grape as well as places that are known for one grape. Napa, Cab, you know. But because it's a fairly new wine region in our brains... You know, because we had Australia, we know pretty well because of the Shiraz um, trend back in the day. And we're pretty familiar with New Zealand because of the Sauvignon Blanc from Marlborough. But there's not one of those things happening in South Africa. So let's talk about where the Republic of South Africa is on the continent of Africa. The Republic of South Africa is the southernmost country on the African continent with about 59 million people. So the country is bordered to the south, the sort of the west and south, by about almost 1,600 miles of coastline. North of South Africa are the countries of Namibia, Botswana, and Zimbabwe. And to the, on the eastern border of this country is Mozambique and Eswatini. And what's really unique is there's actually a country within the borders of South Africa called Lesotho. And... It is actually one of the only, there's only two others in the world like this, and they're both in Italy, the Vatican and San Marino. It's pretty wild stuff. Also, like New Zealand, South Africa is a biodiversity hotspot. And I'm sure we all are pretty familiar with the history of South Africa and the struggles and the triumphs of the people in South Africa. So we're not really going to go into the political, socio, social, social economic stuff, although it does affect the history of wine. But I want to talk to you about where it began, some, some things that were important, and then get to where we are today. Because again, like other new wine regions, I think today is what's very like invigorating and awesome about South Africa we're going to start to see more and more South African wine on our market. It's just going to happen. And um, let's talk about what we can see now. The history of wine in South Africa begins in the 17th century, and it involves the massive, massive Dutch trade system of the time. Towards the southern part of the Western coastline of South Africa is the Cape of Good Hope. It juts out into the ocean. And on that cape is what is now called Constantia, which is a very famous winery. Um, it's very historical. And that right there is where the wine industry of South Africa began. In the mid-17th century, the Dutch installed 
a 33-year-old surgeon by the name of Jan von Rybeek onto the Cape of Good Hope to set up a big garden and put a market around it. And this was meant to help fight scurvy for the sailors that are going back and forth on these trade routes. And of course, a vineyard was part of this big garden. And in 1652, uh, dude recorded in his journal that they pressed the first grapes from harvest. And that is basically what began the wine industry of South Africa. Now, the thing is, that moment was how grapes got to South Africa from France, pretty much. And the wine being made here in Constantia on the Cape of Good Hope was mostly sweet wine, wine that could, and we have an episode coming up um, this season on, on fortified wine, but these are the wines that could, could actually survive a trip from South Africa to England. And for a long time, the wines of Constantia in South Africa were some of the most popular wines in the wine-drinking world at the time. It wasn't until the 19th century that this area became kind of irrelevant. And I only say that because the political stuff that was happening between France and England and Spain, which has been going on forever, at some point, there's a shift in power and tariffs and taxes, and the British are now able to get wine from France without taxation, and they basically just leave South Africa behind. It's just easier to get wine from across the English Channel than it is from all the way down in South Africa. And I kind of have this idea that, like, if it wasn't for that moment, that treaty or whatever that was, that Bordeaux happened... You know, I wonder what would have happened if that that political moment never occurred or occurred later in South Africa. I don't know. It's just kind of, you know, conjecture. But that's a big historical moment. From the moment that the Dutch colony of Constantia was formed to the 19th century, wine had a presence in this country. So that was a big moment. Another really big moment, like a lot of moments in the wine world, which we're going to get to, I promise, is phylloxera. Oh my God, Keith, you keep on bringing up phylloxera. It happened, guys. It was a big deal. And when it, when it hit South Africa, it took the country almost 20 years to recuperate from that moment or that, that horrible scourge, which we'll get to. And in doing so, they flooded the system. They flooded the land with high production grapes. They were just getting nervous. They just flooded the zone and we had a quality issue. This was supposed to be fixed by this huge cooperative company thing that was created called the Cooperative Wine Growers Association or KWV in Afrikaans. What's interesting about this entity is that at one time it was connected to the government and it really controlled how wine was made and sold in South Africa. But... At some point, it breaks apart and becomes a company, and to this day, it's still around, but it's not, it doesn't, it's not a regulatory body. It's more of a company supporting cooperatives. These are big general moments in South African wine history. Um, one that is not as devastating <laughs> as these is the, the creation of the grape Pinotage. If you're in Virginia and you drink red wine, there's a chance you've tried Pinotage. For some reason, it's happening in Virginia and it's doing well. But Pinotage is a native South African variety. 
but it was developed by a human, but kind of not really. This is a cool story. Inland from the Cape of Good Hope is a major, major town called Stellenbosch. And in that town is a very important university. Actually, in wine, it's also a very important university. And in 1925, they had just started their viticultural department. And they hired Abraham Isaac Perold to be the first professor of their department at the university. And in the garden of the university that was, you know, set up for him, he actually pollinated Pinot Noir with a grape called Sanso, which is a variety from southern France, usually used in the Provence region for rosé. It was an open-air pollination. So he just put the plants in the same vicinity, and at some point they cross-pollinated on their own, and then he took those seeds, and he actually uh, planted four of those seeds. And then in 1927, he leaves to go work for KWV, actually, which is really wild, and a lecturer from the university that knew about those four seeds took the four seeds, brought them to another college. They propagated those seeds, grew some grapes, and chose the best one to use going forward to propagate and make wine from. This was a grape that was pollinated from Pinot Noir and a grape called Sanso. At the time, in South Africa, the Sanso grape was actually called Hermitage. So the label on the vine was Pinot Noir times, or X, Hermitage. This is Pinotage. This is how Pinotage was created. It became an, literally an indigenous variety to South Africa through open-air pollination by a human. Very cool. And to this day, Pinotage is part of the wine scene in South Africa. Now, South Africa is doing all kinds of stuff. They're doing Cabernet Sauvignon. They're doing Syrah. They call it Shiraz sometimes. They're doing Chardonnay. They've been doing Chenin Blanc for a very long time. They actually call it Steen. They're doing Merlot, they're doing Cab Franc, they're doing everything, but Pinotage is always there. And it wasn't always popular. Um, the, the, the Pinotage wines can have a very distinct, almost um, overpowering smoky aroma to them, but nowadays it's a lot different. The wines being made from Pinotage now, they're being blended, they're softer, they're supple, they're inky, they're really, really awesome. So you should definitely check some out on the American market because they're, they're here. So those are key moments in South African wine history without getting, there's so much in between, but without getting into the in-betweens, those are the moments. Constantia, Phylloxera, regulatory government-led cooperative, Pinotage. But where South Africa is today in wine is the most exciting time for South Africa. There are dozens of wine-growing regions in South Africa, starting all the way to the north of the country along the coast, going all the way down to the southern part of the country. All basically, not the entire coastline, but a lot of the coastline, a little bit inland, you have all these wine growing regions. And we're not we don't see all of them on the American market. We're going to, and it's it's starting to happen. But there are places that we see now that I want to tell you about. So when you're out there in wine markets, you can you'll you'll find them and you'll know what you're looking at. The Appalachian system in South Africa is pretty pretty unique. Well, it's basically just a, it's just regions and subregions, but they have different terminology for them. So you have geographical units. Then within those geographical units, you have wine regions. Then within those wine regions, you have districts. And then within you, with those districts, you have wards. So it's kind of like wine region, subregion, 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 subregion. For example, you have a geographical unit called the Western Cape. It's the Western Cape of South Africa. Within that geographical unit, you have a region. 
that region is called Breed River Valley. Within the Breed River Valley are three districts, Breedkloof, Robertson, and Worcester. Within each of those, they have wards. Breedkloof has two wards, Robertson has nine wards, Worcester has three wards. And so what we're seeing here is terroir, right? Because as you get further and further down into subregions, this is a wine system wanting you to know that there is terroir here. There, there's, the soils are different, and you can see it being created, which is very cool. The Western Cape as a geographical unit, we're going to see the majority of wines from that particular big geographical unit on the American market. And this large geographical unit has three regions in it that you're going to see on the market. So there are three regions in this area. I'm going to break them down, but be very brief so we don't get too convoluted here. So the Breed River Valley, which is what we just talked about, which is in this geographical unit called the Western Cape with the three districts. Of those three districts I talked about, Robertson is the biggest one. There are nine wards in this district, which is a lot. It's a warm, dry area. It has a sort of a favorite ward, which is called Bonnyvale, and... I've had wines from here. I've had Chardonnay from here, Sauvignon Blanc. I've had Shiraz, and I've had Cabernet Sauvignon, and they're all really good. This area is inland from the southern tip of South Africa. And from the Breed River, if you start going south towards the coast, you enter another wine region called Cape South Coast. Here, there's a bunch. There's about six districts, and two of them we're going to see on the American market. One is called Elgin, and one is called Walker Bay. These are coastal regions, so they are going to be cooler climates. So you're not going to really see Shiraz and Cab and stuff like that. You're going to see more like Chardonnay and Pinot Noir because they want that get that acidity up. Again, all kinds of things are happening in all these places, but these are the, the, the varieties you're going to see on the market right now until they maybe find their, their grape. Or maybe they won't. Who knows? Now, it's the third region in this geographical unit that I'm saving for last because there's the majority of the stuff we see on the market is going to be in this chunk of acreage, land under vine, if you will. Okay, the coastal region of South Africa has, you have the Cape Peninsula District. This is where the Cape of Good Hope is. This is where the famous Constantia distillery slash vineyard is to this day. North of that is a wine district called Darling. We're not, gonna see, we're not seeing a lot of Darling on the American market, but I want to bring it up because I have had Syrah from Darling, and it was mind-blowing. Yes, yeah, Syrah, not Shiraz. Some, you know, it's back and forth in South Africa. Sometimes they call it Shiraz. Sometimes they call it Syrah. I believe it's because of the, the characteristics, and how, if they're different, that defines the name. But what I love about Darling is this is a wonderful place that proves that South Africa, we think... Some people think it's hot, but it is close to Antarctica. And there is a a wind current coming from Antarctica that goes along the coast of South Africa. It's called the the Benguela Current, and it keeps everything nice and cool. And that is why you get nice, spicy Syrah from Darling. North of Darling is a place called Swartland. And I'm bringing this up because we're starting to see those wines pop up. I don't know. I've never had wines from this area, but from what I've heard... The Swartland area is sort of the rebellious, not rebellious, they're, they're out there. It's like more of the sort of low intervention, the, the term natural wine that's being bandied about. It's, it's said that up in that region, we're going to start seeing sort of these more funky wines coming from there. I'm not sure why, but that's happening. So keep an eye out if you like the funky stuff. Sort of in the center of the coastal region, inland from the Cape of Good Hope, is 
a lot, a lot of wine activity. Here you have the districts of Wellington, Parle, and Stellenbosch. These three words you're going to see on a lot of South African wine that is here in the States. Wellington is still figuring itself out, but there are great red wines coming from out there. There's good white wines as well, but I've had some awesome red blends from Wellington. And Parle is popular because Parle is the home of KWV. That's that huge cooperative company that began as a government regulatory body back in the day. And I think I'm not... I think I read that over 4,600 growers work with that cooperative. So I'm not, that's crazy. And so you're, because it's a cooperative, you're going to see a lot of wines from Parle on our market because wines that are made from a cooperative are not as expensive when it gets to the shelves here in the States. And last but not least, Stellenbosch. If, you've, if you're interested in wine and you're, you've heard about South African wine, there's a very good chance that Stellenbosch is the word that you know the most. It is, it's the university town in South Africa, and this is where the viticultural department was formed in the 1920s. And to this day, it's a huge center for research in viticulture and viniculture. And there are vineyards everywhere. Now, Stellenbosch is mainly known for red wines, but you can't say that because everything's being grown in Stellenbosch. It has good sun. It has cooling influences from False Bay, which is a bay just a few miles away. It's like Shark Week Bay. It's where all the <laughs> it's all where the, all the great whites are and stuff. This is a place with heavy tourism, so that's why we probably heard a lot about it. It has a wine route. It has restaurants. It has tasting rooms. It has the vibe. But despite all of these vines, it has a very low yield. So. It only is 9% of the national yield of grapes in the country. So it's a more concentrated, almost, it's kind of the fine wine region that's developing or has developed in South Africa. There will be more, but this is the one that's been around for a long time, probably because of the university and the programs that are available there. So like I said, there's dozens of wine regions in South Africa. We're learning about more and more all the time. More and more is coming onto our market. We have so much to explore in South Africa. Go out there, find some wines from South Africa, and just pop them and taste them and see what they're like. Find what you like and, and, and find a winemaker that you like and hold on to that winemaker. Maybe try a region. It's, 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 it's ready to explore now. And as you, if you get into it now, as it develops, you'll be like an expert in South African wine. What? Find Parakeet is my Insta. Rate and review this podcast wherever you get your podcasts from. It really helps get the word out there. And now for some totally awesome credits. Wine 101 was produced, recorded, and edited by yours truly, Keith Beavers, at the Vine Pair headquarters in New York City. I want to give a big old shout out to co-founders Adam Teeter and Josh Mallon for creating Vine Pair. And I mean, big shout out to Daniel Grinberg, the art director of Vine Pair, for creating the most awesome logo for this podcast. Also, Darby Seaside for the theme song. Listen to this. And I want to thank the entire Vine Pair staff for helping me learn something new every day. See you next week.
This episode of Wine 101 is sponsored by E&J Gallo Winery. At Gallo, we exist to serve enjoyment in moments that matter. The hallmark of our company has always been an unwavering commitment to making quality wine and spirits. Whether it's getting barefoot and having a great time, making everyday sparkle with the market Prosecco, or continuing our legacy with Louis Martini in Napa, we want to welcome new friends to wine and sharing all of life's moments. Cheers and all the best. 